Hello and welcome back to Talking La Liga. Welcome to our Match Day 16 recap podcast. I'm Simon Harrison and as ever I'm joined by David Cartledge. Hello there. And it's a good night for David given that there's two good bits of news. The first of which being that Lucas Alcaraz has been sacked as Raul Zaragoza manager. The second reason will be coming up in this podcast and it is good news for everyone who watches Spanish football I'm sure. Um, We'll start off with Friday's game, Celta Vigo against Leganes. We've said quite a few positive things about Leganes on the last couple of pods. And I mean, a point away against Celta at Balaidos, nil-nil, solid at the back, you know, we, we've said over the last few weeks that they've been building and they've been looking quite good. Obviously, it's a great achievement for them to be keeping the likes of Maxi Gomez and Iago Aspas quiet. Um, from a Celta point of view, obviously, it is points dropped. But um, we saw in this game Beltran once again off the bench. We saw Stanislav Laboka fit enough to be on the bench himself. And he's obviously going to be a huge player in the coming months. But I suppose one player who has really got a look in under Cardotho that maybe kind of went under the radar beforehand under Mohamed, and that's David Costas. Um, what, what, what's your sort of opinion of him? Because really, he hadn't been given a great amount of minutes, not really been given all too many chances, and suddenly it seems as though he's sort of a settled part of this back four. Well, I think he's a very good player. Um, I've liked him for some time when he was coming through at Celta, and, and funnily enough, uh, Somebody brought it up to me that they didn't really rate Costas and they saw him as a Segunda-level player. And I, I was quite shocked by that um, on, on Twitter the other week. Um, and it didn't make much sense to me because I think Costas is a very good player, for one. Um, a lot of talent, a lot to improve on, don't get me wrong. But I think above all, which is always key, uh, he suits the, the manager's style. Um, and I think that is why we are going to see him play a lot more um, over, the, over the coming weeks of, and for the rest of the season. We'll move on to Saturday's action. We'll move on to Getafe against Real Sociedad. This one was always going to be a bit of a a battle, maybe a little bit attritional. And ultimately, when you allow Getafe to take the lead after just a few minutes, don't don't be surprised if you end up losing 1-0. Um, mm-hmm. A shame to see Amath get injured over the last week or so. Quick mention for that. He has, well, he's been improving massively, hasn't he? There were certain aspects of his game maybe um, a season and a half ago where you could see maybe he was quite raw, maybe he wasn't. You could see why Atletico maybe let him go to try and improve elsewhere. Um, But it's really a shame to see him get injured and, well, to be out for basically the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think he's actually, um, he's been completely border last for a better word um he, he's learned every single aspect of the game um he's improved upon it especially his defensive work and i think it's very important in a border last side if you're one of those wide players one of those attacking players um that you that you do track back and you are aware of your defensive responsibilities uh amath still young and and he he had become to you know he was aware of that now um but but like we, we said, I think Atafe have uh, have got players um, to come in for him, and um, you, you know sign and size came as a bit of a surprise. Um, you know I, I know he's been unhappy at Leeds; he's wanted to leave uh, for some time. But um, for Hatafe to get him, it, it, it's a really really good signing. I mean, ju- just to kind of go over that a little bit more, I mean, Samu Saif, um, a vital part of the Huesca side that got themselves up promoted. Um, he, well, was probably expected to maybe move to under the Primera side rather than chances are by going out to England. Mm. Um, but 
you know, this is something of a, a coup, really, isn't it? it? It's one thing to lose a math. He's a great player. It was great to see Jorge Molina actually celebrate in this 1-0 win by holding up his shirt. It shows that sort of togetherness in the dressing room. Uh, in this particular game, uh, Gaku Shibasaki, he started out wide. We saw a bit of Francisco Portillo out, out there as well. Um, but, I mean, Saith, he's, he's a very, very interesting player, I think, isn't he? Because he isn't the same, we're not going to kind of, um, he's not the same style as Amath. He, no. He's maybe not as in as intense, maybe he won't maybe offer as much in terms he's... of pace and getting forward and back. Yeah. But he definitely has that little bit of something to, you know, really create something out of nothing. He's more of an, individual, an individualist, which is interesting for Atafia, who are, the ultimate team, I think, in, in, in terms of Premier, in terms of knowing their duties, knowing their style really well. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he settles in and, and when he is used. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting one for Atafi. It's, it's definitely something that they don't have and, and, and now they do. And I think this was a good performance, you know, just to go back to the game, this was a good performance against Real Sociedad. Real Sociedad didn't even play badly, but Atafi... They had, I think, less than 35% of the possession, but it doesn't really matter. Um, how they work and how they operate as a unit is just fantastic. And it was interesting to see that when Garitano went to a back three, Bordelas studied it for maybe five, ten minutes, saw that Real Sociedad were further getting on top of the game. And then he counteracted Bordelas by putting three in midfield, and that just counteracted it perfectly. And they saw the game out with relative ease from then um, and could have got another one on the break. So it's just great in-game management from, I think, a very, very good coach of a very, very good team. And Getafe all the way up into sixth place with that. I mean, people mm. can complain about the amount of fouls, maybe the fact that they don't really look to dominate games whatsoever, but as long as they're getting points on the board, they won't care whatsoever. Uh, we'll move on to Raul Valladolid against Atletico Madrid. Um, a, a bit of a, I suppose, a sort of a, a thriller from a game that maybe it wouldn't have been expected from. Um, a 3-2 win for the away side. Nico Kalinic with another goal in Costa's absence. Griezmann getting himself two goals as well. I mean, we we mentioned a little bit about what Atleti would be missing with Costa being out, but also, could it be the case that maybe a half-fit Costa who stuck at it and tried to continue and tried to continue week after week might have actually held Atleti back a little bit? Yeah, I think that's I think that's you know that's pretty accurate. There's nothing wrong with saying that at all. Um, it's just the way that that things have gone for them, and and just their season has has been a. Um, you know, a strange one, um, to be honest with you. And, you know, it's just always, you know, we have to I think we have to become used to now. Uh, we've seen as well at Letty switch off at the back and not being as tight as before. Um, and it's interesting to see how that, uh, you know, impacts on their Champions League uh, run. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> drawing Juventus is not yeah. going to get a lot harder than that, really, at this stage of the Champions League. Um it's well, I suppose injuries too. You know, Atleti they've not been too fortunate. I mean, Felipe Luis he's going to be out for a while, as announced this week. They've had mm-hmm. Godin, Jimenez, uh, Lucas just in and out the door at different times. Maybe we'll see a bit more of an improvement once they've actually got a first choice back four and they can stick with it and look to build up some consistency. Because at the moment it's sort of a, a revolving door, and even though in the past you know Atleti they'd always seem to cobble it together and they'd always seem to still bring that sort of united unit at the back. You know, it, it tended to be the case that they would have at least one fit central defender there for the bulk of the season. At the moment, it's really chop and change. Maybe that's something to do with it. Um, 
But one central defender who, you know, he's been catching all of the headlines for Real via the lead is Fernando Calero. We've talked mm-hmm. quite a lot about him on the podcast before. We've also mentioned him quite a bit on Twitter as well. I mean, him going from Segunda Bay into Primera, scoring in this game, all within the space of two years, it's quite something. And then when you look at the media and you look at him being linked with certain clubs, I mean, Arsenal, I think, is the biggest club he's been linked with so far. I mean, we did get one question on Twitter this week from an Arsenal fan sort of saying, you know, doesn't really know a lot about him. Um, is he up to Arsenal's standard? Um, and I mean, really, just to add on to that, I mean, what kind of fee could Vardy be asking for at this point? I know it's interesting. I mean, when you, his release clause is only 11 million euros. Um, so, so that's about, but I mean, whether, you know, Vardy have had a bit of a cash injection, they've got Ronaldo who has taken over, of course. So they might be a bit better off in terms of funds and they can maybe actually hold out for the clause now. Um but yeah, yeah, he, and even at that price, even if you had to pay the clause, it's a, I think he's a bargain, um, especially being only being 23 and he's got a lot, uh, you know, he's got a, a lot of potential. Yeah, and after making the step up from, you know, third tier football to first tier in just two years, it makes you wonder. I mean, he's been thrown at the deep end and he's swum very, very well. There's no reason why he can't be thrown in at a higher level or at a bigger club and, and do the same there. Uh, we'll move on to Real Madrid against Rayo Vallecano. A Madrid derby of sorts, a 1-0 win for Real in this one. I mean, Real Madrid, they are getting the results. They are keeping pace. They are still up in the Champions League places and hanging on to Sevilla and Atletico's coattails. But they're not blowing teams out of the water that they really should be. And to be honest, I mean, Real are without their star strike for this game on the basis that he can't play because he's owned by Real Madrid and it's part of the clause in his loan deal. Um, for Solari, I mean, he's getting some points on the board. Things have definitely improved since Lopetegui in that regard. But it, it's clear that they do need a little bit of an injection up front in terms of maybe a, a new star striker, someone to compete with Karim Benzema. But for me, I'm, I'm really struggling to see how you could trust a coach like Solari with sort of bringing in some big star name and, and, and getting the best out of them. Because at the moment, it's it's kind of tough for me to see, at least, um, the, the the style it's it's tough to put a finger on. Maybe the identity it's tough to put a finger on. Mm. It might be tough to kind of sell some kind of long term vision to a big player. So I mean, is it really? They definitely do need some reinforcements, and they need someone to come in up top and you know bridge the gap in terms of goals with Ronaldo having left. But mm. it's hard to know how they're going to get that right. I think with someone like Solari in charge, where there's just so much uncertainty there. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Rio's defense was all over the place here, but Real Madrid couldn't really take advantage of it or punish them. Um, they just didn't seem too motivated for this game. And and, and yeah, yeah, I, I mean, they could have been 3-0 up, I think, at half-time or so, but, you know, they weren't. And the game was just very, very dull. And I think, you know, it was good watching. I think Marcos Llorente was probably the highlight, watching him play. He kept things ticking over really, really nicely. Um, you know, um, nothing too flash in terms of his passing. He's just very, very neat, very tidy. Um, so yeah, that that was good. But it was this was just a, a dreadful game. <laughs> Plenty of positives in that one. I mean, do, do you think that there's any reason for maybe Real Madrid fans to worry? I mean, we did see, for example, in the Champions League under Zidane, you know, they they maybe wouldn't play the best leading up to the bigger nights. Maybe they didn't really turn it on until it got yeah. really down to business. 
um, is it a case of like as long as they're picking up the points, it can kind of slide? Because I think that there are certain standards that need to be met. There are certain teams, and you know, when you're playing a team like Rio when you're at home, I mean, Rio's away record this season has been abysmal, and still, I mean, th- th- this should have quite easily sort of been, you know, three, four. It, it should have been sending Rio home with their tail between their legs, but there just doesn't seem to be that sort of clinical edge to Real Madrid at the moment. Um, no, there isn't. Like I say, I just don't think they're that motivated. They look just a bit bored um, with the football and with what's going on. I'm not too sure what will spark them in the life. In the life, will it be the Champions League? I don't really know. But right now, they just look a bit dead, really, between the eyes. They they do. You know, they just they need something, and I, I'm not really too sure what that's going to be right now. Them this season. Another side who need a little bit of something is Valencia. We'll move into them next. Uh, Abar versus Valencia, one all at Iparua. I mean, looking at the bigger picture, taking a point at Iparua isn't too bad whatsoever. But given that still Valencia, they're really languishing down at the wrong end of the table. Um, this this game, I suppose, you can take a positive from it being, you know, Mendilabar's side, they're always a real pain to play against. They're hard to play through. They like to press high. These are all sort of things, I think, which Valencia would be worried about going into this game because, let's be honest, they're not in the best form themselves whatsoever. Um, we'll, I suppose, mention uh, two really high-profile absentees given that today the second of the two had it confirmed in a medical report. Uh, we already knew last week that Goncalo Guedes was going to be missing two months out. We knew that Condogbia was struggling with an injury and it's actually been confirmed today that he's also going to be missing two months as well. Um, I mean, for Marcelino, for Valencia, that they need to rally from somewhere. Um, I think their result in the Champions League against Manchester United was as much down to Manchester United's complete failings as it was to really Valencia playing particularly well. I mean, Carlos Soler did quite well aside from that. Not too much to shout about. Um, but when they're looking to turn things around, they're looking to continue with this same system and persevere. But last season, you had Condogbia, whose level was extremely high the whole campaign. He was phenomenal, probably one of the best performers across the entire division. Um, And then you had Guedes, who, I mean, he did tail off at the tail end of last season. Um, But there were moments where, you know, he was the difference maker. His a bit of pace, a bit of skill, something on the break. He he was, you know, the the perfect sort of sprinkling of, of magic that was needed in certain games. Without either of them, and they're not playing well in the first place, I mean, what must Marcelino be thinking at this point? Because you really can't see Valencia going out and absolutely opening up a transfer war chest in January either. Oh, no, absolutely not. I think it's going to be... I don't know, he, sound, he sounded resigned to the fact that they're not going to sign anybody and, and nobody's going to go as well. So I think it's a case of just getting Guedes back fully fit, getting Condogbia back fully fit. Obviously, they're, they're both going to be out injured. Um, Guedes needs an operation. I don't think Condogbia needs an operation. Um, but yeah, Guedes does. and So it's just a case of getting them back and, and, and bringing them into the side once again and, and trying to finish the season with some momentum. Uh, but again, they're another team who just seem to meandering. Um, Real Madrid, exactly the same. You just wonder when something's going to turn for them. I mean, on the bench in this game, he didn't actually get onto the pitch, but he's someone that's now been around the squad a little bit more. He's been involved in sort of some uh, non-competitive games, training sessions, etc. And that's Kangin Lee, um, mm. a young player. I mean, he's been shining sort of for um, Valencia's B team for, for for a couple of years now. And he does seem to be at a level now where maybe, you know, with certain injuries, with them needing a little bit of magic from somewhere, I mean... 
Kangin, is he's not going to get a better chance, is he, to prove that he can come into this first team squad, make an impact, and and maybe be one of these players where you know if if the game isn't going so well after 60 minutes, 70 minutes, he could be a player to come in and change the game because he is a player which should, I mean, theoretically, sort of suit the idea that Marcelino has where his wide midfielders tuck inside, drift in field, get involved and look to create themselves. Yeah, absolutely. But I just don't think at this stage of the season they're going to do it. I don't think Marcelino is the type of coach to do that. Um, I think if it was somebody like Kike Setien, Eusebio, then I think he'd probably get a chance. But it's not, it's Marcelino bit more regimented, a bit more strict in terms of how he distributes his minutes. We thought Ferran Torres would get a lot more of a look in this season, but he hasn't either. And yeah, it's just a, it's a strange one, really. But um, I think Kangin will have to see uh, what happens in the summer in terms of pre-season. He'll do it with the first team, of course. And then I think maybe looking at next season, I'd be stunned if he got a look in before then. Moving to Sunday's action now, we'll move on to Sevilla against Girona. Machine going up against his former side. I mean, do you reckon maybe he was coming into this game thinking, you know, this is going to be a tough test. Obviously, Girona, they know the nuances of his system. They know what he likes to tweak. And really, he's gone to Sevilla and he's implemented the same blueprint. So it's not as if there's going to be a huge amount of surprises. It's more down to the individuals that he now has being, well, just a little bit better individually, pound for pound. Um... I mean, P- Pablo Sarabia with another goal in this game. I mean, what do you think he really needs to do to get in the Spain squad? Because I think apart from maybe if he had to, I don't know, save Luis Enrique's family from a burning building or something like that, <laughs> then there's really not much else he can do at this point. No, there the really isn't. There's not much more he can do. Um, he's at an, ac- at an exceptional level. I don't know how much better he can get, um, but this is better than... The current level that he's at right, right now is better than what many, I think, presumed of, of him, you know, expected of him when he was coming up in the Spain youth categories. They thought he was going to be a good player, but this is he's exceeding that right now. So in that sense, I'm not too sure what else he can do. Um, he, he's just excellent again. Um, and, and so was Andres Silva. Yeah, but so many times this season, um, those two stood up for Sevilla and, and, and should be said there. Roque Mesa was was excellent as well, kind of playing as an interior actually, which was interesting to see. Played as a, an interior, and uh, him and Benega, uh, Benega and, and Roque Mesa were playing together as well in like a kind of advanced attacking midfield role, but also operating as interiors. And it was it was really really interesting. And it's you know, it's funny to see the way that these players are adapting to what matching wants. And, and you know, Roque Mesa and Benega, very technically high gifted players. You wouldn't expect them, you know, to put a lot of sacrifice into their game, I guess. But they are, and it's fantastic to see. I mean, Sarabi, you mentioned before that both he and Andre Silva have stepped up well. They really seem to have a good understanding between them, don't yeah. they? I mean, we're getting to a point now where they've played enough football, they've absolutely understand this system back to front. It's clear now that obviously Machine as well, he's found his settled side. You know, we're always seeing the same back three pick now. As soon as Escudero and Navas are back fit at wing back, they're immediately straight in and playing. I mean, mm. really, even though they are going to probably be quite busy in the transfer window, the the argument is there that you know they're just going to keep improving off the back of just pure association alone. Yeah, I think so. Um, it, familiarity is such a key thing, and it's such a rare thing in Spanish football as well, because players are always leaving, managers are always changing as well, and it's hard to get it together. Especially a club like Sevilla, they know about it more than anyone. Is that you know that how often their club changes, how often players change their January in the summer. Um, so, yeah, yeah, and I think Machine's looking to do that week in, week out. And, I mean, look at how it, how it works for Hitafia. 
they know who's going to be in that team every single week, bar maybe a rotation of the strikers. And matching strategy without Sevilla. We'll move on to Espanyol against Real Betis. Um, Espanyol, I mean, they, they started the season so, so strongly. That seems like a long, long time ago now. Obviously, they were right up at the top, keeping pace with Sevilla in the opening weeks. They're now actually down into the bottom half of the table after this match day. It's kind of falling apart. We we were thinking that, you know, obviously the wheels would come off at some point. Of course they would. But we would imagine that, you know, they would have maintained at some point part of their form and and I assume that that would be at home they would remain hard to beat they'd be competitive you know they would have built up a bit more of a rapport with the fans after a, a good first three four five games at home picking up some really really good results but it, it wasn't to be the case in this game I mean good to see Sergio Garcia getting himself on the score sheet after he's found himself a bit in and out of the side injury wise um, but then from there I mean we, we talked about uh, Sydney and Lo Celso last week, the week before that, we mentioned free signings in terms of Canales in, we, Paulo Lopez. Mm. Lo Celso and Canales combine for the opening goal in this game to equalise, to make it 1-1. Then Teo in an own goal, tipped the balance late on. Betis, they're quietly just building up some really, really nice momentum now, aren't they? I mean, there was a time where we were wondering, you know, is it all kind of going to hinge on a striker if they bring in a better striker will we then see goals coming at the moment they're managing to get away with the fact that goals are coming from around the side a little bit more and obviously that will run out at some point but for now I mean we saw last season that they started off very erratically and then they got sort of into the that late sort of December, they got into January, they made a signing and they really picked up from there and the momentum just carried on and on and on. And you would argue, I would imagine at this point, that they're almost in a better position to kick on again after, you know, the Christmas break. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're set up for a really good run, uh, to this really good run to continue. It's six games unbeaten, five wins and at the same time, they scored 11, conceded just once. Um, I mean, that is unbelievable. That's, that's in all competitions. Um, and and that is fantastic, yeah. It's it, it and against Espanyol, it, it could have been a lot more. Um, they just dominate that game. Espanyol, um, would were just barely living with them. They really were. Espanyol offered nothing in that game. The way the Canales, especially, um, and then La Celso were who were dominating midfield was was something else. Um, it's their ability to drive away from from opponents. At times, they could just run away from two or three opponents and open up the game and stretch the game. And and that was the difference. And that's what the difference is with Betis now, that they've got components who can do that, as opposed to just sitting, uh, passing it about sideways and allowing teams to sit back and get in shape. Now they don't have time to, uh, because they've got the pace um, and this drive, the skill of Canales and Lo Celso. Um, and 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 those two were just, they were just unplayable. Uh, um, they really were. That the, you look at the last twenty five minutes of that game or twenty minutes or so, it was relentless from Betis. It was some brilliant passages of play. I mean, for Espanyol, it must be difficult for Ruby to look at this side. That obviously, the the, the bulk of the side that you put out, the, there are some injuries with Hamosa mm. missing out, um, some suspensions, Didac Villa missing out. But, you know, more or less, he's putting out a similar side each week and it's just not picking up the results and the points that it was in the early stages. And, I mean, it, it gets to a point where you think, OK, well, confidence is obviously a big, big factor. If that gets a bit of a knock, if that wavers, then, you know, they can things can maybe start to unravel a little bit. But I think that beyond that, obviously, we, we, we've seen what Ruby's first choice, eleven can do. And that was extremely impressive. 
But then when you do look to sort of the bench, when you look to their squad and you look at, you know, what sort of young players could they maybe call in and, and bring in to plug certain gaps, I, I think that that's sort of where we're going to... It's going to be interesting to see um, what what they choose to do in, in the transfer window because I think there's no real funds to play with there whatsoever. It would be very, very easy for certain players to have maybe treated the opening first month or two of the season as a really good way to have put themselves on certain big clubs' radars and the club won't be in a position where they can say no to certain fees. Mm. Um, but then also it's kind of like, is it worth gambling a little bit and maybe looking to see if they can maybe bring in a few players just off the back of, well, look what we could do when we had our first choice 11 available. Look at how we were hurting teams at that point. We're yeah. maybe just a few players away from having a pretty decent campaign given that, you know, once Kike Sanchez-Flores left, it was just as likely for them to improve slightly as it was for them to potentially you know sort of drop into that kind of relegation battle and at the moment it's it's kind of they're in the middle that they're sort of teetering and it'd be interesting to see which way that goes off the back of maybe say if someone comes in pays big money for someone like mark rocker you know is that something which could maybe just break kind of the spine of a team and and leave them quite you know floundering and a little bit vulnerable um i don't think they're going to be back in the transfer market um i think ruby was given a remit and and to do, you know, they he was probably told, you know, there's enough here for a mid-table finish. They've exceeded that. That to be fair, um, his brilliant work, the brilliant start of the season they had. But now I think we're just seeing the the limits that they have. They they hitting the ceiling that everybody expected they had. That's all it is. Um, and this is where the real hard work gets in from Ruby that they don't fall off in a big big way. I really don't think they're getting backed in January. I'd be surprised if one player came in. Um, to be honest with you, I think things are that tight at the moment in Espanyol. It would have to, it would mean a player would be sold, I think, if anybody came in. Um, but I think they should hold on to everybody until the summer, um, to be honest with you. But but yeah, yeah, I'm not really surprised at what I'm saying there. I mean, this is this is kind of, this is what I expected from them, uh, what's happening right now. I mean, five consecutive losses now in the league for them. It does not make good reading whatsoever. It's, I mean, Huesca have picked up two points in that period of time um, and they do need some maybe it, it'll be a case of it'll be good to get the Christmas break from an Espanol perspective get everyone back get the troops rallied get people back fit if possible and then look to go again because they are in a precarious in a precarious position um, still you know a long way off the drop a long way off athletic all the way down 18th um, but definitely a bit of a precarious time for them uh, we'll move on to uh, Huesca against Villarreal mm. and I think that after Huesca playing against Real Madrid last week, really, really getting close to getting a very, very useful point in that game, denied with a clearance off the line. Uh, Malero missing an absolutely fantastic chance. I still, after a week of digestion, I just don't understand how he still missed that one. Um, but they were met in this particular game by a man-of-the-match performance from Sergio Asenjo. I mean, some, some with Huesca, I mean, they're getting very, very close to picking up some very, very useful points. They're putting in some performances where you think, you know, that they deserve maybe a little bit more than that. And yet, it all counts for nothing. I mean, they're still sat bottom of the table. They're only on eight points from 16 games. They're still, you know, Athletic are still to play when we're recording this podcast, but they're still, you know, sort of six points off 18th even. Um, it, it, it's a shame for them, isn't it? Because in this game, you know, they're, they're playing a very outside where they've changed coach. Uh, mm. Luis Garcia has come in. There's obviously they can maybe take advantage of the fact that there's a bit of uncertainty there. I mean, when Luis Garcia was in some of his early press conferences, 
he was saying that you know there's, they've not got much time to work with really and there's going to be some facets of what he wants to do that won't be possible in this game I mean this was the opportunity for Huesca to go up against a side who are struggling anyway as it is um, with Mario as well getting sent off after about the hour mark it was really you know there for them to try and make the most of and yeah. but for and <clears throat> but for a 94th minute equaliser it could have been so much worse yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, Villarreal's appointment of uh, of Luis Garcia is, you know, it's it's dull, it's uninspiring. And I think we're going to see more games like this. He's been brought in to, you know, sort them out defensively. Um, but you know, they need they need January and to get at least one centre back in or so to try and help that to try and stem the tide. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult for a defensive coach like Luis Garcia. To focus on defense, uh, focus on defensive work, which he will do. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think you know, Villarreal's season feels a bit of a bust. Um, quite honestly, it feels like a bit of a waste. It's almost the same can be said of Valencia, of course, as well. Um, and it is a shame because they got a lot of talent. I mean, it, one good thing to see. Um, I was a little bit worried, maybe seeing when uh, when Luis Garcia was the man named, and obviously looking to be quite pragmatic, shut up shop a little bit. I was just hopeful that you know players such as Fornals, players such as Chukwueze, wouldn't sort of be put on the periphery just for you know sacrificing them for this sort of defensive solidity that he would be looking for. But once again, I mean, Chukwueze, <laughs> impossible to leave out at the moment, isn't he? I mean, yeah. it, it, it's crazy to think. We've mentioned him on the last couple of podcasts because he's been that good, but it really is, you, you wonder with young players, sometimes they can come in, they can explode onto the scene, they can look as though they're going to be a world beater, but maybe it'll only be for a few games. I mean, there's countless players where they've come in for their debut, maybe scored a goal, maybe had a memorable performance, and then they've fallen off the radar a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, Samu is just showing absolutely no signs of slowing down. He looks like he's absolutely ready to continue for the rest of the season. And not only, you know, it's not only a case of him not looking out of place. He is the best player in this side right now for Villarreal. And that's a crazy thing to say, given how good Fornals was last season and how talented we know that he is now. Oh, absolutely. He is. He's the one redeeming thing about this season. You know, it's the one thing that, you know, if the season would end right now, just say, who's the player of the season? You'd probably say, oh, probably Samuel. And <laughs> it's just remarkable that this yeah, 19 year old Nigerian kid has come in, you know, playing on the B team a few months ago um, and, and is now very much the most. God, he looks like the most important player in the first team. He looks like the one who, the only one who can make things happen at the moment. Um, it is it's remarkable, but long may it continue and hopefully it doesn't fall off the radar. Because, like you know, you make a good point. People do come in. You know, think of somebody like say Onti um, Veros, who was at Malaga when he came through. There's a lot of excitement, um, but he just didn't really seem to have the mentality to continue. But I don't know. There's something special about Samuel. He looks like he has it collected himself. Collected. He looks like he has it together. Uh, Nigeria have already given. Uh, him his debut as well so they rate him uh, back home as well which is good to see and it's exciting to see where he can go and, and what he can become we'll move on to the final game of this podcast Levante against Barcelona not a huge amount to really say from this game to be perfectly honest I mean last season obviously that 5-4 thriller Levante just frustrating Barca's unbeaten season getting rid of that record I mean, a 5 0 thrashing in this game, a hat trick for Messi, another goal for Suarez. I mean, they're outscoring teams just on their own at this point. Um, we saw a bit of an interesting shake up tactically from Valverde in terms of playing three central defenders in PK, Longley, and Vermalen. But Vermalen taken off in this game with an injury problem. I mean, who would have thought it? He's usually so reliable. Um, 
and it looks as though he's going to be out for at least a month now. Um, there were some sort of rumours um, of certain short-term options uh, maybe two or three weeks ago that maybe Barca were going to be looking at. Um, Branislav Ivanovic springs to mind. Um, at, at this point, sort of, they've only got PK and Longley as fit first-choice central defenders. You've got mm. Samuel Umtiti, who tried to play through a knee problem, then chose to go to Qatar to have it looked at a little bit closer. Then I, I believe that it's not really wanting to be sort of a. They don't want, really want an operation because then it will keep him out for a long, long while. Um, so now they're kind of just left with. Well, they were left with PK Longley and Vermaal, and now they've only got Longley and PK. <laughs> what What do you think they're going to be thinking of from a planning perspective? Because they do have certain players that have trained with the first team. They've got Cuenca, they have Chumi, but it seems to all intents and purposes that you know. Valverde isn't prepared to risk it but surely I would think personally from how I like to watch football and how I like to see young players develop I would rather see one of these players put in and given an opportunity to prove what he can do but at the same time I can understand that if one of these players was to make a high profile mistake in the league in a big game or in the Champions League then that could be sort of his well his short-term career progress absolutely dead in the water. And that's all it's about for him short term. And that's all it is for Barcelona. They are in a, I had this discussion with some people uh, on Twitter very, very recently. Uh, Valverde is, is win now. That's where it is. And, and the board a win now. That's why there's not really too much emphasis on bringing young players through. You know, um, it's, it's, they can't take that risk. They can't afford that risk. That is the feeling. And um, that is not my take on it, by the way. That is not my feeling. I would like to see the young players given a chance as well like we've touched touched on earlier in the podcast um, with Kangen. And yeah, yeah, it will be really, really good to see the young players given the chance of Barcelona, but it's just not happening. And uh, it, it is, it's a shame. Um, but I mean, the, the, the Barcelona just got to hope that, you know, Pique was fantastic. He was probably his mind of the match, um, you know, in terms of the person not called Lionel Messi. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he he was fantastic. He was like, it was old school Pique, imperial defensive performance. He got forward. Had a bit of a laugh. Evidently wanted a goal, um, and and yeah, it was a good performance in that sense from Pique, and he was excellent. But they, they the Barcelona need that every week from him, and uh, same with Longley uh, as well. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, so it's it's difficult for them in a defensive sense. But man, they've just got they've, they've got Messi. So <laughs> it, it 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 is honestly like that. I mean, it keeps coming down to each week. I'm I'm just sort of well, I'll, I'll be asked to write certain things, and and it just boils down to the fact that it's kind of a little bit boring and repetitive to, to want to kind of write about Barcelona at the moment, just down to yeah. the fact that you can pretty much just write down Lionel Messi's name and, and, and publish that. And that's a good enough explanation as to why they've won well, certain yeah, games. Yeah. Honestly, absolutely. But I, I know it sometimes does feel like that, but then I guess you've just got to remember, I mean, you've got to remember he is probably, I mean, nah, I'm not going to say probably he's the greatest player of all time. So I guess, you, you know, you know, we are still watching that and, and you enjoy it as it is and what he's doing right now, you know, just when you think he hits a certain level, he goes up another notch and, and, and to another level, and this is probably the team, the, the Barcelona team that he's been in, that has relied upon him most, and he hasn't flinched. Um, he, he's carrying the team on his on his shoulders, you know uh, how how he operates, and it's just fantastic to watch with how much he's uh, enjoying his football, despite you'd feel um, it would be a burden on, on most, um, but not Messi, and 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 yeah, it is just outrageous what he's doing. 
I mean, that is that is all that we can talk about. There is going to be another game going on this evening as we're recording this podcast. We've had to record it a little bit early. Deportivo Alaves going up against Athletic, um, where obviously Athletic, they're struggling down at the wrong end of the table. Garitano came in and managed to get himself three points on the board at the absolute death. Uh, it, it even sort of promotes, pr- provoked uh, Getafe president Angel Torres to come out and say that the, the referees in the league are actually favour Basque clubs, which is an interesting one. So I can only imagine there's going to be three penalties awarded both ways in this game tonight. Um, so there we go. We, we've talked through every single game from the weekend. Barca still out in front, but Sevilla and Atletico not too far behind. We have obviously seen the Champions League draw two, so some interesting ties from that coming up. If you did miss out on that or the Europa League, we did tweet a little bit about those games, so make sure you didn't miss any of those ties. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Talking La Liga, and make sure that you are following us on SoundCloud or subscribe to us on iTunes to make sure you don't miss any of these podcasts. So it's been good to speak to you guys, and we will talk to you again soon.